Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Yeah, so we are on Facebook Live. Good morning, everybody. Sorry for the short delay due to some additional technical difficulties. We are studying Morena Vuchim, and I am Daniel Karapkin, and this is webyeshiva.org. Uh, we are on the Facebook Live page, as well as uh, teaching on the Web Yeshiva's uh, uh, platform. And uh, we are studying Section 1, Chapter 60 today. Uh, and in the course of our discussion, we, we wanted to uh, discuss further Rambam's negative theology of God. That's really what this whole section of the Moren of Uchim is all about. Um, last week, our discussion was on chapter 59, where the Rambam had pointed out to us that just because we can never fully understand God by ascribing any positive attributes to him, at the same time, there are different levels of knowledge of God, even within this negative knowledge of God, meaning that I can only know what God is not, I cannot know what God is. And one might then argue, well, if I can only know what God is not, then I can never really know God. And if no one can ever really know God, what is the difference between the wisest of all men and the simplest of all men? What is the difference between a Solomon and the average Joe on the street? And the answer that uh, the Rambam had provided is that the more you can say what God is not, the more you understand God, the greater cognition the greater intellect you have of God, even though you will never fully define what Hashem really is, but the more you know what he is not, the more you can eliminate about God's existence, the greater knowledge you have of Hashem. And the Rambam equates a greater knowledge of Hashem to a greater closeness to Hashem and a greater overall perfection of the human being's intellect, which is the ultimate objective of life to perfect our intellects. Now, with that in mind, we're going to continue this discussion with chapter 60. And chapter 60, like chapter 59 and chapter 58 before it, I felt was technical enough to warrant designing a, an outline. And we're, going, we're only going to read small snippets of today's chapter. We're not going to be reading the, the chapter in its entirety. Um, so the Rambam really is this idea that the more you know what God is not, the more you know God. So continuing from, we're going to raise four major points and then just one fifth point, which is sort of like the postscript to review. Um, continuing from last chapter, the Rambam is going to try to clarify on how the more negative attributes one is able to know about God, the better that one knows God. And the way that the Rambam is going to present this is through a parable of a ship. Okay, now 
the Rambam is taking basically an inanimate object that one can find within one's purview. You go to the ocean all the time, you see the ships, you know what a ship is. And let's use this exercise to give us examples of negative attributions of the ship to help us understand this idea. There are many things that you can eliminate. If a person heard the word ship, but never saw a ship and never experienced a ship in their life, how would a person gain a better understanding of what a ship is? So the first person doesn't know whether the word ship even describes a thing or an adjective. Maybe it's a modifier to, to a thing, just like the word blue or the word large. He doesn't know what the word ship means. The next person comes along and recognizes that the word ship does not mean an adjective. So by process of elimination, he concludes that it's a thing. The next person recognizes that the word ship, which is a thing, is not a mineral. Then another person comes along and recognizes that ship is not a living being. The next person recognizes that ship is not a plant that grows from the ground, it's detached from the ground. These are all things that a person recognizes that the ship is not. And this is the analogy that the Rambam is presenting. The next person recognizes that the ship is not a monolith, it's not a monolithic piece of something, but rather by process of elimination, he concludes that it's made of disparate parts, different boards, different, uh, uh, you know, different components and so forth. The next person recognizes that the ship does not possess a simple or flat shape like a door or a table. The next person recognizes that the ship is not spherical. And the next person recognizes that not only is the boat not spherical, but it's also not conical in shape. And, and I'm sorry, I have, I, I repeated myself um, that the next person uh, is, recognizes that the ship is not spherical, meaning that it's not equidistant from all sides, is really what is meant to, with in number 10. And finally, the last person recognizes that the ship is not solid all the way through, which means that there must be some hollowness to the ship. Now, granted, all of these things could be reworded as positive things. If you understand that the ship is not monolithic in its construction, you also, you also understand that the ship is made up of multiple parts. But there are certain descriptions here where you can't reverse it into a positive statement. If I say I know that the ship is not spherical in shape, that doesn't necessarily indicate to me what the ship actually is. It just indicates that it's not shaped like a ball. But what is it shaped like? Now, the Rambam's point over here is to say, using this analogy, that the last person who has eliminated the most things, like in that game of 20 questions that we've been making reference to, the person who has come up with the most things that the ship is not, in his long list of things that the ship is not, has the clearest understanding of, the sh of what this word ship is. Now, can we say with any accuracy that he has a clear picture of what the ship is? Not necessarily. All of the things that he's eliminated does not make him conclude that a ship is something that floats in the water and transports people and goods from one place to another. But at least 
he's able to formulate in his mind through these all of these lists of what the ship is not a clearer picture. And the more things that go on, if, if he wanted to expand the list even further, that the ship does not fly, he's able to clarify that. And he's able to further clarify that the ship is not something that you would find on dry land. Okay, all of these things will eventually get him to a point where he has a clearer and clearer picture. He may never, if he's never seen a ship, may never fully understand what a ship is. But at the same time, the more you know what it is not, the clearer picture you get. You get, And that's the most that we can hope to understand about the Ribono Shalom, about the master of the universe. We can only hope to know more and more about what he is not, and rather what he is. So as the Rambam writes, this demonstrates that there are varying degrees of knowledge of God, and the more negatives you know of God, the closer you are to him. Number two, ascribing positive attributes to God is dangerous. Now, the title of our chapter today is The Dangers, in the plural, of Ascribing Positive Attributes to God. And it, what, what I'm able to understand from the Rambam's writing in this chapter, and there's a little bit of, there is a little bit of vagary, at least in the way that I'm able to understand the language, is that the Rambam is going to identify two dangers in trying to ascribe God positively, in trying to, to, to uh, suggest that God has positive attributes. We've already talked about this and that the Rambam has stated that it's impossible for God to possess positive attributes because that would mean that there are additional components to God that, uh, and, and God is completely unitary. So you can only define God in terms of, of himself. There is no add-on to God that he is this or that because the more you add on to God, the more polytheistic your belief comes. So the Rambam is going to observe two dangers. The first one is, as we've mentioned, and as the Rambam has mentioned before, that uh, ascribing positive attributes to God is dangerous because this may mislead to a belief in a polytheistic deity. But the Rambam adds a special twist over here, and it's worth reading a little bit of a snippet from what he writes. But let's go through this outline. We've already established that any positive attribute of perfection is only made equivocally or metaphorically, so that the words we use that we find in Tanakh to describe God as merciful, alive, uh, aware, seeing, hearing, etc., these are all borrowed terms, but they seem to be positive attributes of God. But illustration through the state, now the Rambam is going to illustrate the, this idea that it's dangerous to ascribe God with positive attributes by using two illustrations. The first illustration that he's going to provide us is the statement, God knows. If we were to say that God knows something, so what does that mean that God knows? Well, we find that statement in Tanakh, that God knows things. That's a positive attribute. So the Rambam writes that there's one thing that we have to establish. We know that God is immutable, that has already been established, that God is completely unchanging. So if God is unchanging, we must conclude that his knowledge is not like our knowledge. And I just want to read you that small section from page 144 on, on the bottom paragraph. He says, if, if, if God is completely incapable of change, knowledge that God possesses 
must be completely different from the knowledge that you and I speak about when we talk about I knowing something. So for, accordingly, you need to possess this deeper to the notion of negation. For if you say that with one knowledge and with this changeless knowledge that has no multiplicity in it, he knows the multiple and changeable things that are constantly being renewed without any renewal of knowledge in him, and that his knowledge of a thing before it has come into being and after it has acquired reality as existent and after it has ceased to exist is one and the same knowledge in which there is no change. You have clearly stated that he knows with a knowledge that is not like our knowledge. So the Rambam's point is as follows. It must be that when we say that God knows, it's not the type of knowledge that you and I speak about when we know. And the reason is, is because since God is completely unchanging, God knows of something, let's call that something, let's call uh, the thing that God knows a specific human being. If I could ask everyone to please mute themselves, I'd appreciate it. So, um, there we go, okay. So God knows a, a specific human being, we'll call that human being Reuven, okay? God knows Reuven before Reuven comes into existence. God knows Reuven in the same way that he knew him before he came into existence, as much as he knows him when he comes into existence, and he goes through all the various stages of his life, and God knows Reuven even after he dies and ceases to exist, God still knows that same Reuven in the exact same way that he knew him at the very beginning before he came into existence. Now, you and I know things in changing ways. We know things as they change. We only understand something that comes into existence before it came into existence. We didn't know it. And therefore, the term know, ladat in Hebrew, cannot be used in the same way when it comes to God as it comes as it, in terms of in the way that we use it about ourselves. The second illustration, and, and that's actually quite a mind bender when you think about it that God's knowledge of us is completely unchanging. God knew each and every one of us before we existed and he, in the same way that he knows us now and his knowledge of us is completely unchanging no matter how, many, how much we perceive ourselves to change over the course of time. It's certainly the, the most dramatic transitions of coming from non-existence to existence or into the physical world and transitioning out of this world at the time of death. Now, another illustration is to say that God exists, which is another positive attribute. We've already established that God's existence cannot be like our existence, as the Rambam has said multiple times before. God is the only necessary existence. He's the only being who must exist, because without him, nothing else can exist. Nothing else that exists can say about itself that I am necessary. God is the only necessary existence. So therefore, when we say that God exists, we use the word exist in a way that is different from the way that we use it in terms of everything else, including ourselves, when we say that we exist or that table exists and so forth. Now, once we've established that, and this is what the Rambam's main point is going to be, any positive attribute that we can ascribe to God is not really uh, an accurate term. So we really are using a term that we don't really fully understand what it means when we use that term and ascribe it positively to God. If that's the case, and this is sort of to be, this very conclusion 
that God's attributes are unlike anything we can relate to will lead a person to at least conclude that God is a being with multiple mysterious aspects, something which is a polytheistic ascription for a completely unitary deity. And I believe, if I'm understanding it correctly, because there's a lot of difference of opinion as far as how to translate this particular passage of chapter 60, uh, Pines translates it one way and Kafich translates it another way. There's a lot of discrepancy in their translations. But if I'm understanding it correctly, that once I resign myself, that I don't understand what these positive ascriptions to God mean, all I'm left with is the shell of a structure. And what that structure looks like is this being that we call God with a number of different ascriptions or attributes that I don't even understand what they fully mean. But there's a certain multiplicity about these attributes. In other words, perhaps if I had a better grasp at what these positive attributes mean vis-a-vis -vis God, I might be able to connect them better to create a more unitary vision of the being that I call God. But now that I don't even fully grasp what these positive terms mean when I use them in terms of God, I'm left with disparate words that describe one being, and that takes away God's unitary essence. I've essentially become polytheistic because I'm left with different words which describe the, the, the deity that I choose to worship. And that is problematic, according to the Rambam, and that's the danger of using positive attributes to describe God, since these positive attributes will ultimately end up being mysterious in their definition. When I try to use them in terms of God, I will end up with a bunch of different words whose meaning really I don't fully understand, and all I'm left with is a laundry list of, of God's attributes, which ultimately translates to a, a, a multiplicity that is being ascribed to the God that I am not supposed to ascribe any multiplicity to. That's point number two. Point number three, one who ascribes positive attributes to God has a poorer understanding than the following three types of people who really don't understand the subject. And here the Rambam again is speaking in the abstract philosophical terminology. But he presents us with three different types of people who are making an error in their judgment of a certain thing. Uh, the, there's the, the one type of person who makes an error is the person who we would say doesn't sufficiently understand X, which is his object of study. So for example, a person may understand that a human being is a living creature, but he fails to understand that a human being is a being of intellect. So he only has a partial understanding of human beings and does not have a full understanding of human beings. That's one type of errant uh, uh, approach. Now, the second type of errant individual is the person who mistakenly compares X to things that are incomparable to X. So a person understands X, he fully understands it, but he thinks that other things are like X when they are really not. So as Catholic gives us an illustration, I know for a fact that God is a creator, but I mistakenly think that human beings are creators as well, because we create things all the time. We put together uh, uh, very intricate pieces of uh, carpentry, 
and structures and things like that. So we create like God creates. That's another type of errant individual who compares uh, X to things that are really not comparable to X. So the first kind of person is a person who thinks he understands fully, but only understands partially. The second type of person who is the person who understands the, the, the subject of his study, but inappropriately compares the subject of his study to other things which are really not comparable to it. And the third kind of person is the person who misinterprets X to be what it is not, meaning that this person at least understands some aspect of X or at least something in the same framework or realm as X, but he totally gets it wrong. But at least he's in the same ballpark. He uses, he uses nomenclature and he uses appropriate terminology to describe something, but he ends up getting it completely wrong. And the Rambam says that these types of, these three types of, of, of errors are not what I am describing now of a person who provides positive attributes of God. The person who provides positive attributes of God is completely outside the ballpark. If I can use the baseball analogy or the football analogy the day after the Super Bowl. These three types of people who make errors or at least are at least in the stadium. They at least have some level of relationship to the subject that they are studying. They may get it wrong, but at least they have some relationship to the subject. But the person who ascribes positive attributes to God is comparable to someone who ascribes length to taste, meaning ascribing quantity to something qualitatively outside the realm of quantity. If I, am, if I try to describe the taste of something very pungent or very spicy, and I try to describe it in terms of how many inches it measures, that's ridiculous. That's an absurdity. I am using a nomenclature, I'm using terminology that is completely outside the entire framework of the thing which I am trying to describe. Okay, that's what the Rambam is suggesting, is that the danger, and he's gonna to get to the danger, the second danger that he was getting to in just a second, but he first has to set this up to basically tell us that if you try to ascribe positive positive attributes to, to Hashem, you're completely outside the stadium. This indicates that the extent of one's failure to grasp the concept of negative attribution is the same extent of one's ignorance of and distance from God. And therefore, the fact that you are not able to appreciate that God can only be described negatively is an indication of your great distance from your a true knowledge of the Rebona Shalom, because you're completely outside the stadium. And this leads to the, the Rambam's final point of the chapter, that ascribing positive attributes really only states the attribute without understanding what that attribute really means. We know that the Rambam had said that before, since when you ascribe a positive attribute to God, you're using a word that cannot be, cannot mean the same thing that it means when describing things within our frame of reference. This will lead to something which is very dangerous, says, says the Rambam. So the previous danger was that you are uh, polymorphizing God. You are ascribing multiple attributes to God, and therefore you are creating in your own mind a, a multitudinous, a God of multiplicity, which is the antithesis of what a Jew is supposed to believe, because we affirm that Hashem Echad, that God is completely unitary. 
But the second danger now that the Rambam says is that this leads one to mythologize God. Now, what we mean by mythologizing God is to create an image in your mind of a deity which is so off base that it's like creating a mythological creature out of nothing. And the Rambam is going to illustrate this with a parable, and this is how we're going to end this chapter. A person has heard that there is a living creature called an elephant, but he's never seen an actual elephant. And so he wants to discover what is this creature that I've heard of that is called an elephant. So an errant person, meaning a person who uh, either himself is ignorant or he wishes to deceive the guy himself who's trying to find out what an elephant is, it doesn't really matter, tells him that elephant is a creature with one leg and three wings who lives in the depths of the sea. And this being has a transparent body and a broad face like a human's with other human-like features. It speaks and sometimes flies and sometimes swims like a fish. Now, this is this crazy beast that this, this crazy creature does not exist in reality. We've created it out of our imagination. And we've said, oh, you want to know what an elephant is? That's an elephant. Now, as above, such a person has not misrepresented the true nature of an elephant, nor has he failed to fully grasp an elephant. In other words, he's not even in the same ballpark as elephantine creatures. It's not like a person has come close to describing an elephant, but instead of describing an elephant with large floppy ears, he's described an elephant with tiny ears. Or instead of describing an elephant with, um, with gray skin, he's described an elephant with green skin. No, because that would be a person who is mistaken about what an elephant looks like because he's has some level of knowledge, he's within the framework of what an elephant should look like, but he gets it partially wrong, or he feels that elephants are comparable to certain animals that they're really not comparable to, or he gives some other kind of malformed definition of an elephant, but he's within the framework, he's in the ballpark as it were. But when a person completely fabricates what an elephant is because he has no frame of reference whatsoever and just fantasizes about what, an what the word elephant is such an exotic word. Maybe it means something like what I'm imagining in my mind. That person is describing a non-existent mythological creature like the rock, which in the ancient Middle East was this huge flying bird that could, uh, that could be the size of an island. There are stories in the Arabian Nights about this huge giant bird that when it would fall asleep, boats would come and rest on it because they thought that it was an island. And then the bird would wake up when they lit a fire. The Gemara tells a story about this as well. So this kind of ancient mythological bird or the centaur, which is half human and half horse, right, in Greek mythology. The Rambam makes reference to both of those kinds of mythological creatures and says that when you provide positive ascriptions and attributes to God, you are mythologizing God. You're creating a false, fantastical creature in your mind that is anything but God. And that is the second danger that the Rambam writes, because it's bad enough to mythologize physical reality, 
and to create beings that don't exist. Mela, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. There's no, there's no tremendous harm. But if you mythologize God, and God is the ultimate objective of our intellects to fully grasp the ultimate necessary existent being, and to because that's really the, the source of our immortality for the Rambam. It's the source of our whole existence, is to connect ourselves to Hashem in some way by understanding it. But if we mythologize him and we create out of him a being that he is not in our own minds because we have no other, we have no frame of reference to properly create or construct God in our minds, then by mythologizing God, we have done something truly dangerous, which is a form of idolatry ultimately. And therefore, the Rambam concludes this chapter by simply reviewing what he had told us before, that as I had explained in back in chapter 53, we therefore must review that whenever we find positive attributes in Tanakh that describe God positively, that God is alive, or that God is existent, or that God is compassionate, or that God hears, or that God sees, and so forth, they are either borrowed terms to describe the fact that God is perfect, meaning like we had said before, that when we say that God is alive in Tanakh, it really means that he is not not alive because not being alive is a sign of imperfection. So we say that God is perfect, and in a, way, in, in a way of suggesting that God is perfect, we say that he is alive to suggest his perfection. So that's one way that we understand why positive words appear in Tanakh about God, or as the Rambam had concluded, they are actional attributes, which means they don't describe God essentially, but they describe the things that result from Hashem the thing that God does within his world. God provides rain. And because God provides rain, we call him merciful God. It doesn't mean that he is essentially a merciful being, because that would be a positive attribute that is inaccurate. But rather, we say that his actions are reflective of what a merciful human being would do if that human being had the capacity to bring rain. Okay, and that's how the Rambam concludes the chapter. We are, uh, uh, I, my objective here is, as it has always been, is to accurately try to convey to you the text of the Moren of Uchim. There, is, there are clearly issues that the Rambam has raised in this chapter that where he is trying to deflect or dispel some of the misconceptions of his time. And therefore, even though some of the concepts, as I mentioned last week, may not seem to be particularly relevant to us and we may not even understand why the Rambam has devoted so much attention to this or that particular detail. Nonetheless, this is the way that he has constructed the Moren of Uchim. And we're going to continue this discussion of the Rambam's negative theology with a discussion of a special name that appears in Tanakh, the most special name that appears in Tanakh, the name Yudke Vavke, the four-letter name of God known as the Tetragrammaton, uh, or the Shem Havaya in Hebrew. And that's what we're going to continue with the Ezrat Hashem next time. I thank you for joining me. And I want to just make sure that everyone, I'm going to stop sharing now for just a second. And I hope that this was able to record well on our uh, on our Facebook Live. We'll check that out. I wish you all a very good week. Take care now, everyone.